those lovely notes from Giuseppe Verde mean it's time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio at the highest level. Frank Crivello here. Glad you've clicked on and gotten stuck in with us. As always, our my co-host, Richard Carmen, along for the ride. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How was your uh, holiday weekend? I'm I'm fatter than ever now. So, I mean, uh, all the... <laughs> All the turkey, all the food. I uh, uh, went to uh, my wife's parents uh, for the day on Thanksgiving, and uh, she makes a killer stuffing that uh, they, they stuff it, it stuffs it in the bird, and it was all this. Well, I, I probably had more than half of it, uh, <laughs> and there was about eight or nine people in the house, and I had more than half. Of, I probably had more than half of the stuffing, and I I, I don't think I had a conscience about it. So <laughs> I saw that my kids had food on their plate. I saw my wife had food on her plate, and I was kind of like, okay, I'll have more stuffing. <laughs> That's way too good. I mean, how about you? There's got to be there's got to be some there, there's got to be something that it's just like I'm going to have more of this than anybody else, and I don't care, right? Yeah, uh, I, I did not feel guilty. Um, I was at, we we're at my wife's uh, family's house in Tennessee, and. I filled my plate as max as you could do it. Like I looked like I was never going to eat again. I was like, just packed this sucker up, and I ate. I ate with uh, without guilt for sure. Outstanding. Um, and then uh, I got to enjoy my Redskins win on uh, Thanksgiving Day. Coupled that with Saturday's uh, probably the best Bundesliga uh, Riviera Derby ever. Um, and then yeah. we, yeah, and then we had Milan as usual, which we'll get to. Yeah, sure. We'll uh, yeah. <laughs> Big talking point, and boy, did we uh, hit the jackpot deciding to record on a Monday night uh, you, this uh, this this go around because uh, we waited for some news that uh, well, actually, we I don't know if we were waiting for it. It just happened. Um, I wake up to getting tweets from Richard and, and and getting some things in some news feeds of mine to find out that uh, AC Milan have officially parted ways with Vincenzo Montella. The Vincenzo Montella era is over at the San Siro. Um, and, uh, Gennaro Gattuso, uh, will be taking his place. So, uh, this is going to, uh, you know, obviously dominate, uh, this edition of the Serie sit down. We will get into the recap shortly after that. And we will finish off with a small matter of Napoli v. Juventus on Friday. Uh, already, uh, rubbing my hands at the prospect of that one. Uh, I got to figure out how not to work that day. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, uh, but, uh, boy, that one, uh, uh, fasten your seatbelts for that one. You could uh, always get a doctor's appointment with Dr. Ibrahimovic that day. Uh, yeah. Dr. Ibrahimovic or, uh, you know, Dr. Saudi's, uh, uh, smoking cessation classes, which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're well attended, but nobody learns anything. <laughs> so, and I don't think it's a big help. So, um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, Let's get to the news. Let's get to the big news of the day. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously a lot of knee-jerk uh, talking points on this, Richard, uh, yeah, as, yeah. as with any big club making a decision like this, um, you know, st- whether it's from social media, somebody putting knee-jerk, uh, you know, a knee-jerk column out or giving a take here or giving a take there. Um, let me start with you. Your, your reaction to the big news today, Milan moving on from Montella and – uh, placing this very expensive team in the hands of Gattuso. We're going to win the Scudetto this year. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, when, I, when I heard that, I didn't know what to think. Um, uh, the first thought to mine was, here we go again, take another Milan legend and ruin him with impatience. Um, you, you'd rather have a, a, a manager who doesn't have the experience 
quite like Montella had uh, with put him in the middle of the season. You want them to start in the preseason, give him some time to adapt, acclimate, uh, get his program going. Um, so initially, I was thinking, here we go again. This is a silly appointment. But um, I kind of took a step back, kind of reflected on it, and um, I'm more positive now than I was this morning for sure. Uh, oh, don't sugarcoat this. You were like going off like the sky was falling. I saw yeah. all the reactions. You said, oh, it's, it's all true. over. We won with the Europa League. We'll finish 10th. Yeah, I mean, that's how I felt. When, <laughs> when I first heard it, I said, we're definitely, not making, we're definitely making Champions League this year. We're not making Europa League this year. We're not winning the Europa League this year. Uh, and we're going to be hit with financial fair play restrictions uh, as a result. Uh, but I'm a little bit calmer now that I relaxed, got some uh, housework done, and had time to reflect. So I'm feeling better now than I did this morning when I initially heard, the, heard the pl- what happened. You know, what did you, what did you, how'd you feel when you first heard it? I, I, well, when I first heard it, first of all, I mean, I wasn't surprised. I mean, at some point, at some point, uh, you know, Fasoni Mirabelli, Yong Hung Lee, whoever it is at the top at, uh, at Milanello, they, they were going to cut bait. You know, it was just going to be a matter of when, when, um, you know, and I think that that was the issue. So not particularly surprising to me that this has happened. Um, you know, you, know, what's, you know what's surprising to me is that you and I were the last holdouts of the Montella out, even before China. China China jumped on that battle wagon before we did. So that was yeah. the thing with me. <laughs> That's what I was surprised about. You know, and uh, save for Ventura, I am willing to give managers and coaches as much rope as possible uh, and give them the benefit of the doubt because they're the ones with the team every day. They're the right. ones at exactly. training. They're the ones observing everything that's going on. We're just observing what we see in the games. You know, if I could exclusively be at Milanello every day and watch them train, well, okay, then then I have gotten my dream job. Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> but, and I both. Yeah, but aside from that, um, you know, we're, we're then I probably could have a much more informed opinion of of, of why he has his tactics the way it, he has them, or why he has you know, players playing in these positions or, or, or doing this or, you know, why he has this just awkward love affair with Nikola Kalinic. Um, you know, for me and for you and for everybody listening, we just have the games. Yeah. And we have to call it that way. And, um, you know, when you look at uh, Milan over the last several weeks, you can give credit to the defending. It's gotten better. Um, yes, yep. Gianluigi Donnarumma has played a lot better in the last few weeks. I think he's the reason why Napoli only won 2-1 instead of 6-1 um, at the San Paolo last Saturday. Um, I'm seeing improvement from Leonardo Benucci. Uh, we were harsh on Romagnoli in the loss to Juventus. We had a right to be, uh, in you know at least on that first goal. Uh, that Iguain scored, and but he's come he's coming along a little bit all of a sudden. I think that he had his probably had his best game here uh, yesterday against Torino, um, and you know Christian Zapata has been a bit of a happy surprise. He's been decent, yeah. you know. Um, the, the 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 level of play you can get out of him when you actually put him next to a competent defender like Bonucci instead of pairing him with someone like Philippe Mexes or Gabriele Paletta or somebody like that. So, you know, and then you have Matteo Musacchio in this mix who's getting acclimated. So the defending was getting better. You know, they were keeping some teams out. They were getting some clean sheets, but they were doing it at the cost of what was going on going forward. Um, you know, like I said, this 
this unexplained trust in Nikola Kalinic as your as your striker in Serie A, and having the explanation for Andre Silva saying, "Well, he's new to Serie A and he has to get acclimated." I, excuse me, isn't getting someone acclimated in Serie A giving him games in Serie A? Isn't that how you do it? It is. It is. I mean, what other way can you do? I mean, unless, look, look unless, at in Europa League. Yes, it's less unless, Europa League, but unless there's a back order on some sort of Syria acclimation fairy dust that 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 Montella has exclusive access to and just couldn't sprinkle it on Andre Silva for all these several games, I don't understand it. My personal opinion out of Andre Silva, Patrick Cutrone, and Nikola Kalinic, Andre Silva is the best striker out of those three. I agree. A- and you play him, you know, you, you have no problem playing Frank Kessie in the midfield and running him into the ground. Play Andre Silva every game and run him into the ground. So, and then spot Kalinic in, you know, in other games. Um, you know, so a lot of unexplained decisions. And then also the three-man defense came at the cost of, you know, Suso's effectiveness in the team. Um, you know, and we've been saying all along, where's Suso best? Four-three-three, high on the right can take people on, can create goals for himself, can create chances for others. Well, now you're trying to do a 3-5-2 where he's a support striker and he's not sure where he's supposed to go. A 3-4-1-2 is a Trecratista. That didn't work. And that's a- the problem. I think I think the three-man backline could work, but they don't put Susan in a position that'll, that'll benefit him the most. They put him in positions that, like you just said, uh, support striker or trecartista where he's not going to be, he's not going to do well in those roles. He needs to be out in the right wing so he can get on the left foot and cross in the pass or take a shot. And ultimately that's not where the position he's been put in. So, um, yeah, it's all tactics at that point And Montello is to blame for that. Yeah. And you know, the three, four, the three, four, two, one, uh, you know, okay. So he's on the, He's on the right side of the two where, you know, it was Chalinolu and or maybe Bonaventura on the on the left side, you know, supporting the striker. Well, OK, there's potential for that to work. It almost looks like a three, four, three in theory. But you have a small problem with that right sided midfielder or wingback or wherever you want to call him. He wants to get forward, too. So now you got two guys fighting for the same space that they where they can both be effective. Yep. So, <clears throat> you know, he went to a three man defense. But he did it at the cost of the effectiveness of other players. And there was never a balance. Indeed. And this is why he had at least two dozen different formations, <laughs> it seemed like, uh, or systems. Or he never kind of played the same system or the same personnel, you know, more than once, it felt like, throughout this, throughout this entire run. I mean, he's ultimately, would you say, would you say he's sacked because Yes, there needed to be a a grace period to get this team to gel, but he never really got a good grasp of the talent that he had at his disposal. I think that's what it is. Uh, there's two kinds of managers who use plenty of who use a lot of formations. There's the one that uses several different formations uh, throughout the season because tactically they're trying to adjust to what the other team is doing, and that they found that weakness, and this is the formation that'll help them beat them. Then there's team uh, there's managers who just change formations just for the heck of it because whatever they were using before didn't work and they don't want to try to tweak it enough that they, well, let's try something different. And then yeah. that's what Montella is. And he puts players, he, that's what he's been doing every game, changing formations, changing lineups, but he's not putting players in the position that they're most going to succeed. But Aventura is having a down season because he's out of position. Uh, Chalhanalu has been, uh, he's been okay, uh, but he's not in a position that he can t- succeed. Suzo, obviously, um, 
it's probably part of the reason Kessie's not doing so well is because he's out of position. Um, it's just the whole team. Uh, it just seems like he, like you just said, he doesn't know what to do with all this talent. He puts them in, ex- ex- expecting this is going to be a FIFA game, and you just put the best players on the field, and they're going to play well. No, you got to put the right players in the right position to make the whole team succeed. Um, it's a it's a symphony. It's not a one player each you know each superstar do their own thing and get us the win. No, so I think that's the, that's the ultimately why he uh, ended up getting sacked is because he couldn't figure out how to use the talent. Um, the grace period, he's had plenty of grace period. The team should have been progressing a lot more. And like you put, like you like you told me, you know, uh, or you sh- you said to me, the record versus the top six is torrid. It's terrible. Um, that speaks for itself. You can't compete played against the big boys, then you can't compete. Played everyone in the top six and lost all six games. Yep. Uh, 0-6, uh, four goals for, 16 goals against. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, that, that in itself is, that in itself is a damning account of Montella here, uh, in these first 14 games at Milan. Um, you know, if you can't get points off of those top six, how are you going to finish in the top four? So uh, that's that's really what it comes down to. You can go ahead and beat up the weak and the sad all you want. They've had the benefit of playing this, you know, uh, this this probably the easiest group you could ever put together in the Europa League. Uh, you know, for them, say for I mean, I will credit Ike Athens because they've actually been a good team. They've been they've been stingy. So. Yeah. You know, but even even that, you should beat them. The only um, saving grace I'm going to give Montella is you're going into the season thinking there's only two teams really you got to worry about, and it turns out there's at least six really good teams that are better than you that you need to worry about. And for four spots, it's tough picking. So I give him that, but still, there's no excuse. You, the team that you have, the talent you have, you need to do a lot better. No, I definitely agree with that. Um. How much of this do you put on the new owners? How much? Okay, I mean, Montella obviously has a lot of culpability here uh, for Milan. And, and I mean, when we look at this, I mean, they're in seventh on 20 points. Um, you know, they're six points behind sixth. They're 11 points out of fourth, which is the golden position to try to get into the Champions League next season. Serie A gets four teams. So, and there's 24 games to play, um, you know, so it's not as when you look at that and when you, when you make the picture that big, you know, it's not that miserable, No. And cl- but clearly, you know, Montella has a large responsibility for the team's failings. The players to, you know, certainly have some, you know, have some responsibility here. There's been some underperformances that you can't really point to Montella and say, hey, what, what, you know, it's your fault, except for trying to figure out how to pull the plug on them. Um, but let's talk about the brass. Let's talk about the top brass. Let's talk about Fasoni. Let's talk about Mirabelli. Let's talk about the Chinese. Uh, you know, how much, uh, how much culpability do you, uh, do you give them in this situation? I think originally, uh, starting out the summer, they had a, a plan in mind and they were going well with it. And I don't remember who said it. I don't remember if it was Michael Lisi or if it was Blair Newman or who it was. Uh, but they said when that nugget fell, Bonucci came out. Everything went to shit and they just didn't know what to do. Like, okay, well, we got Bonucci. Let's just keep buying, uh, you know, big time players. And they they went away from their plan. Um, signing Kalinich, again, like again, they wanted Balotti or like a Abba Mayang. 
And then when they couldn't get them, they were just like, oh, let's just get somebody. And they got Kalinic. Um, you and I both said when, when he gets hired, we, I mean, signed, we didn't want him. I mean, I was okay with him when he was here, but I, give the young guys a try. I mean, you got yeah. Andre Silva. You spent th- almost 40 million euros on Andre Silva. You got Patrick Lutrone, who's having a great preseason. Give them a try, especially the 40 million guy, 40 million euro guy. You paid all this money. Play him. Um, and I, so I think they deviated from their original plan. And so I will give some culpability to, uh, Fasone and Mirabelli. Um, I would think the Chinese, uh, owners were probably out of that. I mean, they're probably, you know, if, if someone, if you're, if you're, um, the menu entrusted to, to, to guide your ship, um, uh, tell you, we need this player because they're gonna make us better. If you're the owner, you're gonna say, okay, that sounds good to me. I mean, if, if, if you don't have the knowledge of the game, like, like some, some owners do, you know, it's gonna, you're gonna put your trust in the guys that you hired because that's really what you should do. And so, Fasone and Mirabelli, they were just, uh, when they realized they couldn't get the certain big fish that they wanted or when they got Manucci came along, it kind of deviated and that's where things went wrong there because then, uh, Montella ended up playing Kalinic way too much and it, it, the whole system was just flawed. Um, I like what you had to say. Yeah. yeah the, the, I mean, the owners ultimately signed the checks though. So, you know, so they, they, they've got to, they, they've got to look, They've got a role, albeit a small role in this. All right. You know, Young Hung Lee, his consortium, uh, you know, whoever he owes debts to, <laughs> to remain the <laughs> owner of this team, which, you know, could end up being a point of contention here over the next 12 months. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I never liked the Kalianich signing. How many times did I say on Twitter, dear Milan, re Kalianich? No. <laughs> I think every, I tweeted that. Every I, hour. <laughs> yeah. I tweeted and retweeted that uh, multiple times. You know, and I knew that that was that was a Mon- that was a Montella deal. That I don't know if that was a Fasoni and Mirabelli deal, but it was definitely a Montella deal because you know Montella knew him from his time at Fiorentina, yeah. and you know, and and just played him in every City A game, which you, know, you could understand. In part, okay, there's that with Montella, but also in part, Kalinic felt like a panic uh, buy, you know. Because they were shooting for Balotti and they were shooting for Obama Yang, as you as you mentioned, you know, then they couldn't get either. So and then you know Morata way back in in June, but it was ultimately just Morata. I think Morata had his mind it made up and was going to Chelsea. Um, but Kalinic felt like a panic. Kalinic felt like okay, this is our last resort, and we've got to justify it, and we've yep. got to get a striker in here. Yep. Um, because we can't go, th- we can't go the whole season with all these fixtures with just Andre Silva and Patrick Couturone. And ultimately that's what it ended up being. I had a problem with that signing and I had a problem with the Lucas Pelia signing. And then a lot of people were happy about the signing and blasted me for not liking it. I said 20 some odd million for a 31 year old. Let that sink in. He's 31. I don't care what kind of season he had last season. Cause he did. He was excellent for Lazio last season, but that is a lot of money for a guy who might give you two good seasons. Um, if you're lucky, uh, and so far he has not lived up to the talent that he had at Lazio. Is he being misused? Probably. Um, you know, uh, our friend Michael Lisi, who has some excellent questions for us to answer a little bit later on. I remember reading his, uh, his blog and, and Michael, I'm going to give you a cheap plug cause you're such a good friend of the podcast, <laughs> uh, uh, Fossa de Leone 15, uh, go give that a read. If you're a Milan fan, uh, he has some very good insight, but, um, he made the comment that part of the challenge that Milan are having is that 
you know, Belia excels as a deep line playmaker and Milan are trying to find their Pirlo, but also Bonucci loves to make those deep passes from his position too. Right. And now you've got both of those guys. Okay. They don't play the same position, but they're close. They're close enough to each other um, where it's going to present some challenges. Uh, you know, for me, it was just the whole concept of spending 20 plus million on a 31 year old, uh, you know, a few more million, you probably could have gotten, you probably hard to, hard to say this now, considering the way he's playing, you probably could have gotten Torreira out of Sampdoria. You know, I say probably possible. Yeah. Yeah. I say probably because you look at the way he's playing now, there's no way you're getting 25 much cheaper. Yeah, absolutely. It would be much cheaper. You're not getting him for 25 to 30 now. You're getting you. You're going to have to fork over at least 60. And I think didn't we say 80 last week when we yeah. had Rafa on? Yeah. yeah. So um, he's that damn good. But anyway, so out of the 11 new players, the, the, those were the two I was not comfortable with. Um, you know, I I don't think the shelf life for Belia is that long. I don't trust Kalinic with the rest of the players that uh, Milan have. So in that sense. There's some culpability here, um, you know, with Fasoni and with and with Mirabelli. Um, so that's a fair assessment. How about the timing? Because you've got a lot of Milan Twitter. Um, what do you think of the timing? You've got a lot of Milan Twitter that said this should have happened weeks ago. Uh, I, I don't think it should have happened weeks ago. I actually wanted to see how the next because the next five games or so are, are very soft and very easy. Uh, should be winnable games for Milan. So I wanted to see how, what Montello was going to do in those games. But considering what they did against Torino, um, I think, you know, you made a valid point that with that soft schedule, it's a, as good a time as any to bring a manager in and let him get the chance to br- get his team going to the way they need to play. And, uh, and eventually when we do get those big horses coming down in, in, in several weeks down the road, um, we'll be ready, hopefully. Uh, so mm-hmm. this is a pretty good timing right now. I mean, if the international break, if there was an international break, it may be in the second half season, but you don't know where the team's going to be at that point. Um, and this usually around a halfway point is where you want to make a move if you if you have to make a move. And we're pretty close to that. Uh, and so I'm pretty comfortable now saying the timing is pretty good because um, I know that you convinced me on that. You you'll you'll find this uh, tomorrow on my next piece. This is where I get to shamelessly plug the Calcio consultant. Um, I write exact. This is exactly what I write about, and why the timing is perfect. Okay, let me let me lay. I'll I'll, I'll lay this out, and, and some of this is going to be almost verbatim to what I wrote in the um in the piece. Okay, for me, the most optimal time to move on from a manager is during the international break. Okay, is during any international break. Okay, because you have you can make the change. You can bring in. You, you probably have somebody in mind. You bring him in. Um, he has that time while many of his players are gone on international duty to take care of all the administrative crap and all that other stuff. He can watch tape on all of his players and he can start to formulate a little bit of a plan so that when everybody comes back, he can be, pre- he can, he can prepare the next game. Uh, the problem for Milan in October, the international break, what was the first game following the international break? The Derby. Too, too do you, difficult. Do you want to throw a new coach into that situation? No, not necessarily. Okay, so the November break, the November break. What's the first game that followed immediately after that? At the San Paolo at Napoli, the hottest team in Italy. Do you want to throw a new coach into that? 
I no. wouldn't. No. So that's what was being wrestled with. Okay. And if you wanted to try to talk at Carlo Ancelotti, for example, into that situation, he would have said, okay, good news is you're going to give me two weeks to prepare for Inter. Bad news is I'm going to maybe have three days with my entire squad. That's not going to be enough time and implement my ideas and implement the way I want to do things. So that didn't work out. So the next best, the next best time to do it when you've got a relatively soft schedule, you know, over your next five games. Uh, so Gattuso, his first five games in charge, Benevento away this weekend, Rijeka in the Europa League, uh, Bologna at home. And I get it. Bologna has been very good, but that is a winnable game. That is at the San Siro. Um, whoever they're going to draw in the round of 16 in the Coppa Italia, and then at Hellas Verona. Okay, that's the next five games. This is the time to change managers and get those five games and get things reined in. All right. Um, Gattuso coming in. Uh, now, this is the, and, and this is going to be the challenge, Richard. In those five games, have a plan, have your tactics, have your system, and have your players and stick with it. Okay, in many other environments and in many other seasons, match day six in the Europa League would be a throwaway game. I say play your best guys. You're going to need some repetition. If you've got some ideas that are different from your coach and you've got at the end of the year, Atalanta and at Fiorentina coming up, which are going to be huge games. Get these guys reined in, get a system, get it consistent. Okay. And, yeah, you tell Leonardo Bonucci, you're going to have to play in Croatia against Rijeka. We need to get this we – we need to get some consistency here with what I want to do. They probably won't do that, and I understand it, Injury, injuries and whatnot or players getting a chance to rest. But for all five of those games, I would like to see as close to the core of 11 that Gattuso is going to use without having too many departures. So – and that's what I think he's going to need to do, and that's what I think he's going to need to happen. Now, this is not as much getting thrown into the fire as it would have been saying coming off the international break to play Inter or coming off the international break to play Napoli. This is a good opportunity for him to gain some confidence managing this team. It's an opportunity for the players to get confidence in Gattuso. It's an opportunity for the players to be able to buy into Gattuso. So I think this is the ideal time. This was the perfect time to pull the plug on Montella. So on that, I will praise those in charge at Milan. They must have been looking ahead and say, let's make this move now. We've got some winnable games here and let's put, let's put Gattuso in here where he can oversee it. The players can get some belief in him so that we're ready to go for the second half of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hope that they were looking ahead and saw this and that's the reason they did it. I mean, I'm glad they did it now and, and didn't wait too much, too long where it was, where it would have been no chance of making any kind of progress towards the Europe, Europe, Europa League or Champions League. Um, they still have, like you said, 24 games to go. It's only 11 points at this moment, the gap. It's doable. Yeah. Um, you do it with 10 games to go, five games to go. Good luck with that. That's not going to happen. And another reason, another reason why it's going to be doable is going to be in an answer to a question that Mike Lisi is going to have for us a little bit later and we'll address it at that point. But, you know, I mean, the top six, all are going to have fixtures against each other in some vein here over the next several weeks. They're all going to cannibalize each other. Um, so it's prime opportunity for Milan to gain some ground and work their way up the table. So, uh, but we'll address that in greater detail. Uh, 
and I'm not worried about Gattuso's prior environments. This is the most resourceful environment he's ever been in as a manager. And it's not even close. You know, think about where he's been before. Sion in Switzerland, hardly a world beater. Uh, Palermo. And both of those clubs, you know, Sion is the Palermo of Switzerland. Yep, Zepperini okay? uh, of Sion there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. They, 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 both of those clubs just love to sack managers. You're, you're hired. You're, those are two places where you're absolutely hired to get fired. Uh, uh, Crete in Greece, which they had no money, you know, uh, and that was pretty well documented with all of the economic troubles that Greece was going through at the time. Katuza was managing Crete, and and Crete couldn't put, couldn't pay their players. And there were a lot of problems with that. And he was banging his head against the wall there. Pisa, who he got promoted to Serie B before they got relegated. Um, you know, but, you know, at least there's some demonstration of success, albeit at a lower level. Uh, and with the Primavera, he's got them right now through 10 games. Um, in the Primavera uh, first division, he's got them in third out of 16 teams. So, I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, <laughs> I might be clutching at straws here. And, you know, as far as as far as Gattuso is concerned, but let's see what he can do. This is the best environment he's going to be in. This is and, and I, he's going to be motivated. We know what he we know what he offered as a player wearing that shirt. So, you know, let's see what he can do as a manager. What are your thoughts on, on Gattuso and what are your hopes? What are your expect? I know what your hopes are going to be for him, but what are your expectations? Um. So uh, my expectations is. And you know, since we're since we're plugging away now, um, I actually I was motivated myself to uh, to write write on this whole Mantella Gattuso situation for SB Nation. So I I, I kind of talked about how we, I dug deeper into uh, Gattuso's stints at all these other places and the good that he has done. I mean, he took Pisa and they had a wonderful team over there. They had I think fifty four goals for thirty one against. His teams have played. Um, Pretty pretty good defensively for the most part. Um, he's had some inopportune situations at Sion. He only played three game. He only managed three games there. Palermo, Zamperini, you know whatever. Um, but if, like, he had he had six games at Palermo, and and he it's not like he was horrible. I would like he had a I think it was like three losses, two wins, yeah, so and a I don't draw. Count those. Exactly. So I don't count those. You had you had crazy uh, owners that just fire people. So. I, I don't give credit to those, but Pisa, he did pretty well there. And at the Primavera, they're only three points out of first place there. Um, yes, people are going to say their losses to Sassuolo, uh, the Derby loss to Inter and Juventus, uh, you know, tainted his, uh, Primavera stint, but, um, okay, look at how many wins they had. Look how many goals for they have. They play very well. He uses, he's very flexible in his formation. He used several formations, um, but he's using them in a way, it seems like, uh, to get an advantage on his opponents. Now, tactically, he is not the greatest in the world, but he is a motivator, and I think this it's it's good for the team. So, my expectations for this team, um, I think they're going to get positive results for the next five games. I mean, uh, initially, when there's a uh, a coaching change like this, um, the team will will band together and get and get a positive result right away. How long that lasts, we'll see. Um, I do think for the next few games uh, against a softer schedule, they will fall and get some points, uh, get some points back. Ultimately, though, I don't know. I'm still not sure if this this is an interim move for me until they find their next manager, whomever that is. Um, I'm not sure if they can get to that elusive fourth spot or or even you know Europa League concession. Um, I just want to wait it out and see how. I want to see the product on the field first. See how how they how they 
how they play because uh, I don't want to I don't want to judge him too soon because he could surprise us all and be a tactical genius that he just been holding back until uh, Syria or um, he could completely crap the bed and we'll be looking for another manager come winter so we'll we'll see I'm gonna wait and see and he knows he's he's well aware this is his shot um, so. And if he if he does this with even half the passion that he showed when he played, we, we're going to have a good, we're going to have a good we're going to at least have a hardworking manager on our hands. Um, he's you know, gonna kick I'll, some butt. Yeah, yeah, he's going to straighten out the dressing room. He knows what it means to wear that shirt. He's the only one in that dressing room that knows what it means to wear that shirt. So you, I'm glad he's in there for that respect, and he'll motivate these guys for sure. Exactly. You know whether that's going to translate to results. I'm of the opinion of I don't care how you make the sausage. Just as long as it tastes good, okay. That's my get to fourth by any means necessary, um, you know, and that's going to be the role. Uh, we had some questions in relation to this topic, didn't we? Yes. Um, so basically, everyone's asking about who do who, in our opinion, would we like to see take the helm at Milan other than Gattuso, if it was our choice. Um, first one I'm going to say no to is Ventura. I mean, <laughs> I mean, many of you out there saying, eh, and there are most of you Interistas, you're saying, hey, you should get Ventura, he's free. No, I'm not going with that. Um, yeah. You know, Blair Newman had a bunch, brought up a couple good names. Um, I do like John Paolo. He is a, he's a quality manager, I think, and he's going, he's going places. I mean, just look what he's doing with Sampdoria right now. Um, yep. Donadoni's name has been thrown out there. Donadoni's done a decent job. I mean, in his coaching managerial career, not so much with Italy. He's done well at Bologna. Donadoni's okay. Um, I don't know. Mancini, I don't know if he would come. I don't know if I'd want him. Uh, Conte is a name that I'd be fine with. Ronald Coleman is a name that I like his playing style. Um, it would be attractive football for sure, if nothing else. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot of options out there. Um, you could also even say Christian Buki, but I'm not going to say that. No, no, <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll, to that. <laughs> we'll get to that shortly. Yes. Um, you know, okay. Let me hit a couple of the names that you brought up. Okay, Marco Giampaolo. First of all, great manager, but it would have to be a seismic shift in squad personnel uh, for it to work. He's a four-three. One, two guy, very proud of that, very, very much sticks with it. Um, you know, we already detailed that it wouldn't, I mean, it would not work for someone like Suzo as an example. Um, you know, you could conceivably see a diamond midfield where Chalinolu is the trick artista in front of, you know, Jack, uh, Bilia and Kessie. And then maybe that might be it. And then you have, yeah. you know, Sylvan Cutrone up front or something to the, some, you know, you know, something to that effect. Uh, that's just, you know, throwing it out there. Donadoni with the current crop would tactically suit this, this group. He'd play that 4-3-3. You see what he's doing with Simone Verdi right now. Uh, and you could see him doing that with Suso with much greater effect. Uh, I think Verdi's a very good player. I think Suso's better. Um, so. The problem is, is everybody's going to remind you of uh, Euro two thousand and eight. Yeah, silly as that silly as that is, because that was nine years ago. I think Donadoni has proven himself since. Um, you know, took a 
uh, a Parma team, a cash strap Parma team, nearly to the you know to, to the Europa League. Actually, finished in the Europa League place, and then couldn't compete in the Europa League because of all the financial issues um, at Parma. And then you know with what he's doing at Bologna right now, uh, you know the impact that he's having there. He's been Bologna's best manager in a long, long time. Um, and then uh, you know Ronald Koeman. People are going to just be too burned by what happened at Everton. Um, but I agree with you. He plays an attractive game. Um, and then, uh, and you'd also have to deep dive into what went on over there at Everton. Were those his signings or were those the owner's signings? You know, bringing in guys like Sigurdsson and, 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 and Rooney and guys like that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Antonio Conte is the convenient name because of all the stories that he's going to plan to leave Chelsea at the end of the season. Well, Milan might be the... But most convenient thing. But if they don't finish in the top four, how attractive is this job to Antonio Conte? So, um, you know, so you run into that. Uh, you know, so logic would tell you Antonio Conte uh, would be the man. Um, you know, I would love a Carlo Ancelotti homecoming, although I don't think that's going to happen. Neither do I. I think he's. I think it, the Italy's the, the, the Italy job is his to turn down. And he has a legacy he doesn't want to ruin as well. Exactly. Um, you know, so I, I find that one to be really hard. Um, you know, but uh, there may be another manager that's that's in the wings that might fly out of left field that might get unhappy at a certain spot and you know and and, and make his way back to Mil- make his way to Milan. Um, Maurizio we'll Sarri. No, I was kidding. <laughs> or uh, Eusebio Di Francesco. Let's frighten <laughs> right. all of let's frighten all of them while we're at it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, but, uh, hard to, hard to answer right now. Let's start with Gennaro Gattuso. Let's see what he does. Um, again, this is the most resourceful situation that, uh, Reno has been in and, uh, let's see if he, um, let's see if he makes full use of it. So I want to see his, I want to see his lineups, what he, what he does offensively, who he puts up there to striker and then defensively who he has there. It'll be very telling indeed. So, um, your thoughts on the man who should take the hot seat at the San Siro for the 2018-2019 season? Go to at Serie A sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, oh, Serie A played over the weekend. We might want to talk about that a little bit. So let's get to that now. Uh, yes, well, with the uh, Montella news, obviously that was going to be uh, – pretty much uh, dominant in our minds. Uh, but uh, there were games. Um, there were certainly games at, uh, you know, over the weekend. So we're going to go through them. Before, uh, we you, will... before you get to them, actually, did you get, did you see the little bit of shade Carlos Baca threw at Montella after the firing? I did not. He said, it said something along the lines like, uh, 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 it was something along like, Oh, Everyone has what they're everyone has what they're coming to them or something. It's something that is obviously directed at Montella saying that he was slighted by him or something. So um, I thought that was uh, interesting. Anyway, you can go back. We can go back to the games. <laughs> no, it, that is interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it, kick a man when he's down kind of thing, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, all right. Well, the uh, the action began on Saturday and it was Bologna against Sampdoria. Um, you you got to play these games. Everybody would have fancied Sampdoria's chances. And if you looked at the stats, you would have suggested, okay, they had uh, 70, 70% possession, they had 16 shots, 12 on target, and they lost 3-0 to Bologna. Incredible. What? Yeah. Uh, it was uh, Simone Verdi in the third minute uh, to open the scoring. Gosh, what a season he's having. 
Uh, we just talked about him, and here we go again. Uh, Ibrahima Mbaye in the 23rd, and then Orji Okwankwo uh, in the 73rd minute. Nice uh, pronunciation, nice pronunciation. I, I pulled it off. So, <laughs> uh, so that was the, uh, that was the uh, first game on Saturday. The, uh, there was actually three games on Saturday, in fact. Actually, actually, four games on Saturday. Yeah, Sydney, yeah. ah, you're just going all over the place with your games now. Right. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the the sound you are about to hear now is Richard Carmen, you know, drooling or sighing in in ecstasy or something like that because we're going to talk about Kievo. They beat Spal two to one. Absolutely. Uh, and it was a Bosja and Cesar own goal to open proceedings for Spal, uh, and uh, held that lead at halftime. But then uh, one of uh, one of Richard's boys, Roberto Inglesi, turned up and hit a brace. He scored in the 66th and 81st minutes. Uh, you're going to miss him when he is tucked away deep in Napoli's bench in January, aren't you? Yeah, I might just have to start jumping on uh, pay attention to the <laughs> Napoli games more often then, huh? <laughs> Hoping he gets on the field. They're going to have to. Uh, they're going to have to dust off that walker of Sergio, uh, Sergio Pellissier. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, also on Saturday it was Sassuolo nil, Hellas Verona two. Uh, Bruno Zuccolini, when he's not getting yellow and red cards, he's scoring goals, and he gave Verona the lead. Uh, Daniele Verdi scoring in the thirty-first minute. We're going to come back to this game uh, momentarily. Uh, and then wrapping up Saturday's fun was the night game in Sardinia. Cagliari at home against Inter. I got to give props to Cagliari. You guys have an awful te- – well, you got a mediocre to awful team. Let's just say that. But you, they turn out in force, man. They were sold out. The crowd was great. Um, I, you know, I was, kind of, I was kind of in awe of that. Uh, you know, it's like you pay to go to a game that you know your team's going to lose, but you're going to go sing and you're going to go shout anyway. That's awesome. That's why you got to love the sport. Uh, but it was Inter that uh, did come away with the win, and uh, Mauro Icardi in the 29th opening the scoring. It would be 1-0 at halftime. The lead would be doubled through Marcelo Brozovic. Uh, Leonardo, Panet- Leon- Leonardo Pavoletti would pull one back in the 71st, but then order would be restored through that man, Mauro Icardi, again in the 83rd minute to give Inter the 3-1 win. Richard, Saturday's games. Uh, let's start with the surprise there, Bologna and Sampdoria. Um, that's why you play the games, right? Yeah, I mean, the giant killers seem to get up for the big games. That's Sampdoria who I'm talking about. But again, this is, this is the second time this year that I that they're heavily favored and they lose heavy. Uh, early in the season, they lost to Udinese 4-0. The game came out of nowhere. Uh, yes, there are three penalties in that game, but still, you lost four nothing to Udinese, um, and then now they lose to Bologna three nothing. Yeah, Bologna is a good team; they're not as good as Sampdoria. Um, obviously, they were they did not come ready, and as you just said, you have to come play every week uh, if you want to win a scudetto. If you want to be in Champions League, you have to prove it week in week out. You can't let these uh, little hiccups guide you because uh, these are valuable points that you're you're losing. And you know, right now you're in sixth place. You got to keep up with the big boys, and there's also there's teams on your on your tail side that are trying to catch you uh, and take your spot. So, uh, not a good loss, not a good game for Sampdoria. And Bologna just play with a chip on their shoulder, and we've seen this before. They got the draw against Inter, and 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 we go back to that game. Inter got that dubious penalty. Yeah, they're just uh, good. yeah. They, they, this is a this is a good team, and we talk about Donut. We talk about Donut Doni. Don't sleep on this Bologna team. They're very well managed, and if you're one of these big teams and you come unprepared against Bologna, you're going to drop points. 
uh, and that's exactly what happened to Sampdoria here. Uh, you know, the Kievo uh, Spall game was probably typical of what you see from these two teams. Kievo finding a way to pull it out in the end. Sassuolo, uh, Hellas Verona for uh, Sassuolo. This, uh, this game came at a cost as the Christian Buki experiment is finally over. Um, we spent an awful lot of time talking about Montello. We won't spend as much time uh, talking about Christian Buki. In Go ahead. I was going to say, we did have a question about Sassuolo. Uh, it comes from Bag Full of Toffees. Uh, they're, they're a great follower of ours. Um, they asked, where did it go wrong with Buki at Sassuolo? I just am I'm marveling at how he couldn't figure out how to get the the most out of that 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 front three. When you look at them on paper, you know, you look at Matteo Politano, you look at Domenico Berardi, and then your leading the line is Diego Falcinelli. That should be a front three that makes it makes makes life difficult on everybody. He's had, um, he had a he's having a, he had a similar problem to Montella. They had talent up front that they couldn't figure out how to use, and you, your team resulted in not being able to score goals, and that ultimately cost them the job. Um, yeah. You have three players like you just said, that, and you can't find a way for them to score. They they can't work well together. That has to come down to the tactics they're using, and and unfortunately for Bulli, because I had high aspirations for him, um, bringing Sassuolo back up to the top ten. Um, is not going to happen, and unfortunately for him, he's going to find a find find work somewhere else in probably a lower league. Yeah, I mean, I mean, is it fair to say they've been the? I mean, have they been the most disappointing team this season to you? For me, yeah. Uh, we had, like we said in our previous show, we both I think we both picked uh, Sassuolo to be in the top ten, uh, having a bounce back year, and it it just astonishing with it because they have good players on their team, good young players on their team, and they just can't seem to function well. Um, they're just getting in their own way, and they're losing a team that they have no no right losing to, and it's just it's just head scratching. Because um, yeah, like I said, I, I had high hopes for them, and they're definitely definitely disappointing me. Um, at uh, taking over is Giuseppe Iacchini, who is now on his 500th job in 10 years. <laughs> Man, he and. I mean, two things that surprised me, because you know, when you look at Sassuolo's history, okay, Massimiliano Allegri got a long time there. Eusebio Di Francesco got a long time there. So for them to pull the plug this quickly on Christian Bucchi, there had to be problems. But to pull the plug and bring in Giuseppe Iacchini, who you know you're not going to have very long when you look <laughs> at his track record, you really got some problems here at Sassuolo. And given Iacchini's tactics and, and, and what we've experienced from him at, at teams in the past, I don't see how he's going to do any better with with this uh, with this crop. No, what do you think? I I, uh, I am with you on that. Um, I'm taking a look at. I'm tra- oh, so oh, a head scratcher for me was uh, Massimo Odo going to Udinese because actually I was thinking before earlier in the season that a, a good person to replace Buki should he go would be Massimo Odo because of his uh, flair for the offensive in in in, in his tactics. Uh, but he's at Udinese now, so yeah, I don't know about this Iakini signing. I, it's not going to go well, and I think um, I mean, luck, the only saving grace for Sassuolo is there are that many bad teams in Serie A this season that they have a chance to stay up. And if they do, they need to find another manager for next season. But um, there's teams like Benevento, Hellas Verona, and Spal that are even worse than they are, surprisingly. And yeah. It's uh it's a head scratcher. Uh Sassuolo should 
stay up pretty much on talent alone. It doesn't even matter who manages. I mean, Yakimi can't even screw that up, right? Nah. Well, <laughs> we we think he he wouldn't be able to mess that up, but I'm not so sure. We'll see. Um, I think they're going to be in a relegation battle for sure, but I think there's enough bad teams um, that they should be able to stay up with the talent alone, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll uh, see how that uh, continues to play out uh, with with Sassuolo and if they maybe get on the upswing. <clears throat> I'm not terribly confident in Giuseppe Iacchini's history to suggest so, but uh, as far as Saturday, let's address the elephant in the room. <clears throat> as my voice is going, um, you're, really, you're really getting choked up. Well, <laughs> yeah, because it feels good to call out who's going to win the Capocannonieri at the beginning of the season. Yes. The preseason pod and see him tied at the top, Moro Icardi. I mean, as a Milan fan, it's like, damn you. <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, he's uh, he, he, he's done it again. Uh, you know, what, what else can you say? I mean, uh Inter are flying. They're second in the. They're second at the table, and a lot of it having to do once again with Moro Icardi's goals. Yeah, he's uh, he's kind of reinvigorating himself with the tifosi of uh, of Inter. Um, just by his play alone, he's uh, he's showing good leadership skills. Surprisingly, and he's still getting the goals. Um, Spalletti's his his uh, tactics have allowed. More Ricardi get more opportunities it seems to uh, to score goals and not that he needed many before because uh, uh, he'd always get his goals but now this season you can tell uh, this is the reason why we picked him for the Capocannieri to begin the season because we knew uh, under Spalletti he would get more opportunity to score and uh, as you said right now he's he's co joint uh, co leader for uh, Serie A with Immobile who's having a fantastic record breaking season so it just it just shows you how well uh, Icardi is playing because he's he's keeping up with him. Um, and he's trying to set records of his own. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, you know, we thought that with Spalletti's tactics and with the, you know, with players like Andreva and, and D'Ambrosio and, and with Perisic that, uh, that it was just going to be there for Icardi to, to step in. And now he is, uh, he has caught uh, Chiro Immobile um, for the, uh, the top uh, of the uh, Capocannonieri race. Long, long way to go. And, boy, what a fun race we've got uh, brewing there as we had last season. So, uh, 3-1 to enter, and for the time being, that put them top of Serie A because Napoli had to play on Sunday. So let's uh, jump into the Sunday games. It began with uh, Genoa taking on Roma. Well, Milan, if you're having trouble scoring goals, you only need to look at the Genoa-Roma game and see two former Milan players scoring goals in those games. <laughs> Incredible. Stefan El Sharawi in scorching form, and he continues that. He scores to put Roma ahead in the 59th minute. Uh, but 11 minutes later, Genoa get a penalty, and in the fallout, uh, a sending off in that process for Daniele De Rossi. Uh, deserved one. Yeah, very deserved one. What did it, I mean, I mean, I think this just sums up Daniele De Rossi right now at this stage in his career, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, it's a stupid, silly play. I mean, it's similar to what Bonucci did uh, several weeks ago when he elbowed, I forget who it was. Um, there's no need to, to slap Lapadulo in that situation. Uh, I mean, he wasn't going to be a threat to go. If you, just get in his way. Don't don't slap him. What is, what is that? It's schoolyard stuff. Uh, yeah. And he's been doing this. This is not the first time he's done it. He's done this several times, as Roma fans can tell you. Um he needs to grow up. I mean, really, his his play is not doing. He's not doing really well in the in the playing aspect. So, I mean, for all his uh, the great stuff that we uh, 
thanked him for for his Italy his Italy team uh, to, Italy work. Um, he's just doing silly, stupid stuff for uh, for Roma that's causing them points. I mean, they should have had three points in this game. They ultimately paid because of that, and they only got one point out of there. He did yell at someone from Ventura's technical staff during the Italy Sweden game in the second leg, so I can't be that disgusted with him. Right, but this right. is. This is th- th- that that and this this little incident here against Genoa. This is this is old man syndrome setting in with them, and I'm older than him, and I'm not that angry. So yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that, that that's just the way it is. But uh, Gianluca Lapadula would convert that penalty, and uh, Genoa and Roma would share the spoils. And Davide Balladini, uh, Richard for Genoa, uh, two played two, and he's got four points. He's he's slowly getting Genoa out of this mess, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, that's good to see because Genoa has a good team. Mattia Perrin doesn't deserve to be in a relegation battle. Uh, he's <clears throat> he's one of the best goalkeepers in Italy, um, and he's even one of the better goalkeepers around the world. So he needs to he need for his sake get out of the freaking relegation zone. And it's good to see Valardini is uh, getting some points there for Genoa. Yeah, I agree. Milan and Torino played to a scoreless draw. This is the fifth time in six games. Uh, at the, in the last six games at the San Siro, all competitions uh, that Milan were held scoreless uh, in their home ground. Pathetic. Um, pathetic. Yeah, and I think this is an, another another factor to uh, Montella getting the boot. Um, out outshot Torino fourteen to six. Nine shots on Salvatore Sirigu earned that point for Torino, didn't he? Oh, oh, definitely. Um... He, I think it was a good signing for him. We thought he he would do much better for Torino because we thought Torino was going to be better this season. Uh, but he's he's had some games where that's what we we thought he'd bring. Um, early in the season, he made he had a game where he had like five six unbelievable saves, and then in this game for uh, against Milan, he uh, he got the he got the draw for Torino. If he could only score goals for the Torino, uh, maybe they'd be going further. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know Andrea Bellotti, a, a bit of a quiet game for him. I think he had one chance there that uh, Donnarumma <clears throat> was able to get to. Uh, you know, uh, the, the credit there goes to Alessio Romagnoli for that. Uh, it's probably one of Alessio Romagnoli's better games. That uh, he's certainly his best game this season. You know what's surprising um, about this game? And this is only the second draw for Milan this season. That's the, that's the problem with Milan this season is that instead of drawing the like last season, they law they lose or they win. I mean, or they, they, or they, they win, right, right. Yeah. But sometimes you need a draw instead of lose. Uh, and they, this is one of the few times this season that they did get a draw. Unfortunately, it did not help the manager at this point. Yeah, and uh, that's, uh, you know, a, a share of the spoils for either. And, the, yeah, ultimately was the final nail in the coffin for Vincenzo Montella's reign as Milan manager, as we uh, detailed for you here at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, Udinese played host to uh, leaders, or, well, coming into the game second, but coming into the weekend, leaders, Napoli. Uh, and it was the first game of the Massimo Odo era uh, for the Zebrete. Um, and uh, there would be a penalty in the first half. Jorginho takes it. He misses it. But luckily enough, it fell to him to get the rebound and score. Uh, that was the only goal of it. Is that right? Napoli? That's the only goal of the game? A rebounded penalty against yeah. Udinese? So, so that when that penalty happened, I said... Please, Hamsik, take it so you can get the the lead and uh, for all time scores for Napoli. And he didn't take it for whatever reason. I get it that you have assigned kick takers, so Jorginho took it, um, and he missed it. Luckily for him, he got his own rebound. But yeah, it's uh, Udinese and, and Odo for all for all the goals he gave up as a Pescara manager. 
Um, he 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 kept the team compact and he kept Napoli off the score sheet for the most part, and that's 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 almost a win for them when you only give uh, allow one goal to Napoli. And we uh, go to the uh, uh, Napoli goal tracker on, and what they're on pace for. Uh, just that one goal, so they have dipped again. Now their pace is 95 goals. Ugh. So getting worse and worse. Uh, your impressions of Massimo Odo's uh, first run out with Udinese. I'm actually excited for Odo to have this gig. Uh, some promising young – I can't wait to see what he does with guys like Jakob Yankto and Rodrigo De Paul. Um, he plays a very attractive game. He just didn't have the, he just didn't have the horses at Pescata. Yeah. Uh, this is an environment where I think that he has a chance to do some pretty good things. I know, and I agree. Um, for someone who's a defender, albeit an attacking one, um, his teams play very attacking football. Now, hopefully, we don't see like the like I just said uh, the defense that he had at Pescara because they give up way too many goals. Um, if he can find out a way, a good balance between offense and defense. Um, he has potential to do great things with Udinese because there is so much young talent at Udinese. Barak, uh, Yankto, uh, DePaul, um, Fofana. I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, the talent that's at Udinese is ridiculous. Uh, many teams, there's only maybe a, f- a few teams that could say they have that much young players and Sampdoria is one of them. Um, so I think uh, and I'm hoping that Odo does good things with Udinese. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't think they have much of a trajectory beyond tenth at the at the highest. No, um, but it's a good but, place to go for. Exactly, I think they could, you know, with the auto appointment, and if he can get these guys to buy in, uh, it could uh, they could certainly sneak into the top half. Uh, there's no reason not to. So, um, uh, so uh, we'll have to uh, monitor that one and see what happens. So, uh, you know, certainly, uh, certainly excited. Uh, for what Odo can do. And then Napoli winning, getting back on top of the table on 38 points. Uh, we, we, we've run out of superlatives for Napoli. Uh, again, just, they, they, I mean, they, they, they can play the attractive game, but we've seen now they can grind out some 1-0 results, which you, if you're going to win a Scudetto, you're going to have to find ways to win games like this. Yeah, and, and, and that's what Juve has done for the last six years. They found out how to win ugly. Juve, uh, Napoli finally get that, and they're doing it this season, which is uh, good for them because you need to find uh, – you're not always going to get the pretty <clears throat> wins. You need to sometimes win ugly, and that's what they've been doing this season. Sure. Uh, moving on, Lazio and Fiorentina, which might have been the highlight game of the week in terms of brand names playing each other. Lazio won, Fiorentina won is how it would end. Stefan De Vries scoring in the 25th minute. Uh, and uh, it looked like Lazio was going to secure all three points, but at the very end, a penalty uh, awarded to Fiorentina that Kuma Babakar finishes off uh, to give Laviola the draw. Um, this, these are unfortunately the kind of results that are going to keep Lazio you know, from really being a player in this race. I, you know, 29 points, they've got a game in hand. Uh, but so do Roma, so do Sampdoria. So, I mean, right now there's a good dogfight going on with those three teams for uh, for fourth. Um, Fiorentina getting that point. Uh, they sit on they sit in 12th now at the moment. Um, thoughts on Lazio in this one? Yeah, they, they like you said, they, they nearly got all three points and then it was a late penalty uh, for Fiorentina. Um but still, I mean, Immobile was pretty quiet in this game. It just the, the players weren't clicking as they had been, and maybe that uh, that Roma loss a few weeks back uh, had more to do with anything that their team is just 
trying to get back to where they were, and they're still not there, still in a little shock from that loss. Um, yeah, I mean, to, you, if you want to be a Champions League contender, you have to you have to win these kind of games, and they're not. And, you know, we're going to get to a question a little bit later about this, but um, I don't know if uh, Lazio are going to have what it takes to keep up with the big boys because there, there are some good teams this, in this league, and the ones at the top are playing very, very well. They seem to win every week, whether whether it's pretty or ugly. Um, so Lazio need to start finding ways to win ugly as well, or it's going to be a, a fight for Europa League. As good as Simone Inzaghi has been, this is still a relatively thin squad. Uh, so when these fixtures start to pile up, it's going to be very interesting to see what this team is going to be made of. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, that's really what it is. Fiorentina found a way to get a point. <clears throat> this is all, you know, part of a bigger project right now with Stefano Pioli. Um, so, uh, but, uh, important for them to, you know, from a confidence standpoint with Pioli, uh, you know, to know, to know that they can go to the Olympico and that they can snatch a point, especially as late as they did. Um, and Juventus, uh, took on Crotone. This would be the night game on Sunday night. Uh, Juventus had 82% possession in this game, Richard. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, Benevento just said, we're going to try to get a point here. <laughs> it's just like, what did they uh, all Crotone, do? Crotone, they all just, Crotone, I should say. Crotone. What did they all do? They just all sit in the penalty area and say, here, you have the ball. You're just going to have to shoot it really hard at us and see if we flinch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that what they did? Uh, 18% of the ball. So that means like every player kicked it once. <laughs> maybe yeah. twice or, or they had a throw in or they had a throw in <laughs> or they had a throw in or they had a goal kick and it's just like or they took the kickoff and Crotone fans just probably all went to the J and they looked at each other and they said well that's probably the only time we're going to touch the ball the whole game so and it ended up being true um I mean 18 to 3 on the shots 11 and it was nil nil at halftime so it was working yeah uh and then uh, Mario Mandzukic would uh break that deadlock in the 52nd minute and then on the hour wait a minute come on Am I reading that right? This guy has more goals than Andre Silva. Mattia De Cilio? Yep. Really? <laughs> and Milan only got twelve million for him. <laughs> Mattia De Cilio. You know, I also saw a pig fly this weekend. Well, there I'm, you I'm go. Sure <laughs> I'm sure of it. The shit Leo. He he scored a goal. How about that? And then Medi Benatia scoring. Uh, to make it 3-0 Juventus. I mean, that's about the only thing I can take from this game is that Mattia De Chilio scored a goal. That means anything can happen. That means yeah. I could lose 50 pounds in the next month and maybe be able to run a marathon. Yeah, it was uh, the only thing I liked about this game was uh, Benedict Javidus got his first start for Juventus. Uh, so uh, he got a bloody nose for it. But, yeah, it's uh, one of those games, and uh, it wasn't the prettiest of games, but Juve got the win. You got to keep bringing up the Schalke guys, don't you? You got to keep bring, making the Schalke references, don't you? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> playing, playing shamelessly. Uh, <laughs> playing that one very shamelessly there, my friend. Uh, but but uh, no, I mean, this was this was expected. Standard Juventus at home against a, a bad team. 3-0, move on. Um, you know, they're in third uh, behind Inter and Napoli. Um, I still think this is a, a, a Napoli and Juventus race, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that here momentarily. Let's finish off. It was uh, Atalanta at home. Atalanta at home against Benevento. Uh, <clears throat> I watched this game. You were the one. 
I, yeah, <laughs> that that didn't pay a ticket to go into the game. That you know, they had a lot of that. So I, yeah, well, I didn't watch it. I had it on the computer in the background, and I did it for gambling purposes. But anyway, um, I. <laughs> I had you know, DraftKings, you do the Daily Fantasy Soccer, and they had the Interleague slate. They had Atalanta Benevento, and then they had uh, La Liga. They had Espanol against Hitafe. And, uh, you know, to make sure they could have enough games, they they put a game from the championship. They had Queens Park Rangers against Brentford. So um, I just picked six Atalanta players. That's smart. That's smart. <laughs> Which is the most usually. You, you have to pick at least one player from three teams is how it works. So I picked six Atalanta players, and then I think I had – one defender from Hitafe and I had a forward on Brentford and that was it. So I was, I loaded up Cornelius and Papu Gomez and Cristante who scored, uh, and Berisha who was a goalkeeper. And, and, uh, I had, um, I had Hatibor and Castagne. That was my, that was, those were my Atalanta six. So, <laughs> um, and it worked out for me. I made a little cash, but anyway, uh, it was Brian Cristante who would break this deadlock in the 75th minute. Benevento just pretty much defended for their lives in this game. Uh, Atalanta coming off that 5-1 thrashing at Everton. I think, uh, you know, people looked at this. Benevento was going in there without Am- Amaro Cicciaretti uh, through injury. We're missing another forward that was key to them. Uh, I mean, a, 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 a key forward for Benevento. That's, that's an oxymoron to Benevento. Uh, but nonetheless, someone that, <laughs> let's just say, they, they contribute greater than what was out there today. Uh, but anyway, Benevento tried to defend for their lives to try to get their first point of the season. It didn't work. So again, there without a point, Atalanta get three points as uh, qualification for the next stage of the Europa League is secured. They can shift their focus now back to Serie A where they now sit 10th um, and uh, could make a little noise here in the next few weeks. Uh, Richard, thoughts on uh, Atalanta today? Uh, they, you know, Brian Cristante, he's having a, a very good season. Uh, I think this is his fifth goal of the season so far. I think maybe eight or nine overall in all competitions. Yeah, you know, I wasn't sure if they were going to have a letdown after that, that nice win against uh, Everton in Europa League. Um, and it had a little bit just because you look at the scoreline, but Benevento were trying to keep the clean sheet, try to get a point, their first point of the season, which they failed to do. Um, they, they held them, they held Atalanta for 75 minutes, but ultimately, um, the quality came out and and a goal was scored. Um, Atalanta they have they have a chance, like you said, to move on up on the table. Their their current position is not where indicative of where we think they'll end up. Um, this is a good squad. They just had uh, the, the the bunch of fixtures from you know Europa League that they're not used to, so they're trying to get used to playing you know more games than 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 they had been in the past. So um, they're winning ugly, so but they're at least winning. Um, and that's that's the key right now. And so, uh, if they do in, indeed want to try to make some kind of push back to get into Europa League, um, definitely the top half of the table, they're going to have to get eke out ugly wins like this. Yeah, I mean they uh, in, in in the slate for them hosting uh, or actually at Torino uh, at the weekend, um, they'll have a uh, a game at home against Lyon in the Europa League that they can throw away because they're already through. Uh, at Genoa, uh, they'll get a they'll they'll know who their opponent is in Coppa Italia here. Uh, but then they got Lazio at home, uh, and Milan away. So, you know, if they're going to make a climb in the table, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, but, um, it, it seems like their eggs are in the uh, Europa League basket for as far as they can go. Uh, you know, and then I think we had a question on Benevento. Do you want to read that one for us? Yeah. Um, I guess the question that I saw was, uh, 
with uh, the second of Montella, will Benevento get their first point next week against no. Milan? Or wasn't that one? No. Well, no, I mean, no, no, no. That was a qu- that was oh, the okay. question. Okay. <laughs> but no, the point. You say no to the point. Of our, that was one of our fellow World Football Index guys being an asshole is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but no is the answer to that. Just a flat out no. I mean, no matter how troubling things might be for Milan, there's no way, no way in hell they uh, uh, drop points to Benevento. It just, it, it, it's, it's not going to happen. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to go with you there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to say no also, but... Uh, You're not so sure. I'm not so <laughs> sure. I want to see what this lineup is that Gattuso is going to put out before I commit all my eggs in one basket. But I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> they could put you and me out there with nine of their players and, we, and, and Milan would still win. Or, you know... Benevento wouldn't get any points. It just, let's, just, <laughs> let's just put it that way. So, all right, all right. <laughs> um, we had a, a question also from uh, Chris uh, at C. Etchingham 77. Should Benevento try and avoid relegation and win or try to lose as many games as possible and set a record never to be beaten? <laughs> well, if you, you know, might as well get in the record books, right? No one's going to remember Benevento unless you go on the record. So, hey, just throw your eggs in one basket and lose everything. And even at that, no one's going to remember you. This is true. Um, I, you know, only time I, I mean, I remember several years ago, uh, several years ago, Derby County uh, when they did that awful experience in the Premier League. Nobody ever talks about that. So, yeah, that's true. But uh, it came up. It was actually interesting when my wife and I were in Florence um, that following year, uh, and we we're I, we're on our way back to our hotel, and I just, you know, there was this there was this little wine bar, and I peek in because they had Champions League on. And, and I pop in and I hear a guy in his British accent. So oh, he's coming in to check the score. And I tell him, um, yeah, I tell him, yeah, my team's not in it, but I still take an interest in this competition. He said, oh, you're American too. And we're talking. I told him Milan was my team. And, and he said, well, I, I said, well, who's your team? And I, said, oh, I support, Dar- I'm from Derby. I support Derby County. I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, oh, you know about us. And I said, yeah, we get the Premier League back home. <laughs> so it ended up turning out to be a fun night. We ended up staying there and drinking wine with them all night. It was awesome. So he was, he was super nice about the whole situation. So, um, but anyway, uh, I just thought I would share that side story, but yeah, you know, Benevento, gosh, I, yeah, just, just because I haven't seen it before, go the whole season without a point. <laughs> <laughs> Pull the opposite of Arsenal. Yeah, sure, sure. Not the, so what would you call that? Arsenal were the invincibles. Um, and then you had, Juventus had that season where they didn't lose. Uh, so that, so what would we call the, just the, 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 the weak and the sad. Yeah. <laughs> and even the weak, and the, even the weak and the sad will reach out to us and say, "Hey, wait a minute." <laughs> the, the overly <laughs> pathetic. I don't know. <laughs> Over, yeah, we'll we'll come up with something. Help us out here. At Syria, sit down on Twitter or on Instagram for what Benevento should be labeled. Should they not get a point throughout this entire season? We've beaten up Benevento enough. Um, should we get to some other questions? Yeah, let's get to the Michael Lisi one. I don't want to hear that. Excellent questions here. Um, uh, let's start with the uh, – he had two questions, and uh, this is at MFLisi39. Uh, with a bunch of matches between the top six in the next six weeks, you got Napoli-Juve, which we'll preview here shortly, uh, Napoli-Sampdoria, Inter-Juve, Inter-Lazio, Juve-Roma, Roma-Sampdoria, Lazio-Sampdoria. Who do we see falling out of that tier? And is there anyone you see starting to break away from the pack? Isn't 280 characters on Twitter wonderful now? 
It is. <laughs> no, it definitely is. Um, you tackle this first. All right. So I kind of alluded to it earlier, and the teams I think will fall off this pace, unfortunately, because I like watching these two teams play. I think uh, Lazio and Sampdoria are going to fall off the uh, fall off just uh, just enough where they're not going to be able to keep pace with the rest, the top four. Um, they're good teams, but they have these hiccups that are unexplained. Um, Sampdoria they they lose these games, and and Lazio they get draws when they shouldn't get draws. Um, so I think those are the two teams that are, are going to have uh, a little bit of a falling falling away from the from the top four. So you say you're saying it's Lazio and Sampdoria. You said. Boy, daunting for Sampdoria. Napoli away, Roma away, and Lazio away. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll really see what Giampaolo's men are made of at that point. I mean, the the Stadio Luigi Ferrari is a fortress right now, uh, and the way they've got that going. Um, you know, but away, it's been a different story. Obviously, the the, the bad defeat at Bologna, and obviously the the lost Udinese. But they are the giant uh, killers, so we'll see. Indeed, indeed, you never you you never can tell. Um, you know, I'm with you on Sampdoria here, um, and uh, I also think that, you know, I don't think Lazio is in as much trouble because their fixture list isn't as daunting as the rest of these teams. What I want to see is what are what are what I'm going to see is is first of all, Napoli are going to have the benefit of having Juve at home, and they're going to have Sampdoria at home. So I think they're going to be the team that temporarily pulls away um, and starts to give themselves a little bit of a lead. The Issue here is can Inter keep up, and I still am of the belief that that other shoe is going to drop, and somebody like a Juventus is going to trip them up, or even a Lazio is going to trip them up. Um, I'm not totally there with Inter yet. Um, you know, I, I obviously Acardi is doing wonderful things. Uh, Candreva's in very good form. D'Ambrosio is in very good form. Um, you know, Skriniar uh, is in very good form. There's some there's some form points, but eventually there's got to be some regression with that team, and it might happen here in this in this incident. And I think that when this settles in the next six weeks, Michael, we might genuinely get ourselves back to it being a not a race between Napoli and Juve. I think that Napoli and Juve will separate themselves. I know they play each other, uh, but I think that they're going to be they're going to be one and two in that order. Napoli first, Juve second. By the time we get through these next six weeks, and then Inter's going to fall back a little bit, and some of these other teams, Roma, Lazio, Sampdoria, I think they're all going to fall, fall back a little bit. So, Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, All right, and then his second question. With all those teams having to play each other, it seemed the perfect chance for Milan to make a run, but now that ship seems to have sailed with Sunday's draw. Can you see any other team entering that tier? No, I see Milan entering that tier. Um, I, I, I get it. It's Gattuso, and... And, and we have a little bit of an unknown here, Richard, but, uh, you know, maybe I'm being an eternal optimist here, but, okay, can he come up with some ideas for that attack? Because the defending is getting the defending has gotten a lot better. We already talked about the slate. Um, I am expecting from at Benevento, Bologna home, at Verona, I'm expecting minimum seven points. They should get nine, but minimum seven points. Um, yeah. that's, that is realistic to believe with this team. So I think they're that team. I, I, I can't do this with Bologna. I can't do this with Kievo. And we just went through Atalanta's schedule. It's too tough for them to make the move. Um, so I don't see anybody else after that. It's gotta be Milan, doesn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even if you look further down the table, Kievo has got a tough schedule. They got Inter, Roma, uh, and Bologna on the horizon. I mean, 
it does seem the cards are falling for Milan to get back into this. Um, I'm curious to see, like I said, I want to see how this team shapes up, but based on talent alone, I expect them to get near maximum amount of points out of these next this uh, next stretch of games, um, and that'll put them back in the thick of it. So let's let's see if they if they can muster some wins, they'll be back. If they go continue with the draws and the losses, um, it'll be uh, another doom and gloom for the for another few months. Uh, but I'm going to be optimistic here, and I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to say Milan are going to get back into that. Yeah, I think they're going to be right into the mix. I don't know if they're going to be in the top four uh, by the time we get through these next six weeks, but they'll certainly be in fifth or sixth spot with a with a position to make them. With, with the intent to make a move. I, I, I genuinely see that with this team. It's really going to – can Gattuso keep it consistent? And I think that's really what the, what the, um, what the question is going to be. Uh, uh, Scudetto race, getting better and better. Immobile didn't score, so Icardi has caught him. Dybala didn't score. Mertens didn't score. Conza- Wait, a lot of our top guys didn't score this week. Did Cooley um, Bully play everybody? I think he did. <laughs> I think his heat map is the entire the entire uh, nation of Italy now at this point. <laughs> so, um, I mean, he just defends everybody. And then who did he have? Uh, well, uh, he's going to mark whoever it was for Udinese out of the game. So, um, but uh, you have Immobile and Icardi at the top at fifteen each. Uh, do you think it's? We, uh, we're still we're still going to stick. I mean, we made the prediction at the beginning of the season. We're going to stick. We're going to stick to our guns and say this is Icardi's couple kind of yeti race to win, right? Absolutely. Uh, the, the the format he's in this season and the way that Inter Spalletti and, and Inter are playing, um, I, I I'm still going with Icardi for sure. All right, um, I'm I'm in agreement with you there. Although uh, watch out for Dries Mertens, he's creeping up there, and uh, you know, let's see. Uh, you know, I think Immobile is still going to have some goals in him. He's gotten off to a great start, but he's got some challenging fixtures coming up. Let's see if he can keep it up. Look out for Dybala. Uh, Look out for Dybala. I think he's going to have a resurgence here. they got to play all their games at the J. Well, this is, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, let's look at that table here. Napoli 38, Inter 36, Juventus 34, Roma 31. That's your top four. Lazio 29, Sampdoria 26, Milan, Bologna, Kievo all on 20. Um, so you're starting to see a little bit of separation there, yeah. but uh, uh, plenty of opportunity for, for, for teams to get back in. And remember, this has only been, there's only been 14 games played, and in the case of some guys, 13 games. So, um, And then looking at the bottom, Benevento, uh, again, getting ready for life in Serie B on zero. Uh, Hellas Verona on nine, so that win certainly helped them. Uh, the relegation, and I said this in my uh, things I'm thankful for uh, with Serie A, and, and, and Rafa alluded to this last week, the relegation battle is just is going to be just as tasty uh, as what's going on at the top because right now 14th through 19th has only three points separating them. Wow. Yeah. Udinese 12, Cortone 12, Sassuolo 11, Genoa and Spall on 10, and Hellas Verona on 9, and Spall on goal difference sits in the drop zone at the moment. So uh, the three that came up are all – uh, sitting in the drop zone, so uh, we will see if that uh, if that holds true. Go to your thoughts on what you've seen, match week fourteen or otherwise. At Serie sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Let's finish this off with a small matter of Napoli v Juve on Friday. Yeah. 
All right. The peninsula will be totally shut down on Friday. No one will be working. Everybody, well, it's at night where they are. It's, it's, it's afternoon where we're going to be, Richard. But how do you not get excited for Friday's big game? Napoli v. Juventus uh, first versus third uh, at the San Paolo. Round one of two for the two teams that we really think are the Scudetto contenders here. Um your thoughts, Richard, uh, initial reactions on what you want to see on Friday. Well, what I want to see are goals. Um, but <laughs> I don't know if that'll be the case because uh, it'll be stingy, a stingy affair. I think uh, being at the San Paolo as normal, Napoli will dominate possession. Um, it won't be as dominant as it has been because Juventus are a strong team. Uh, but they'll have the edge in possession for sure. Um you know, the lineup that Allegri is going to put out there, Dybala has been struggling of late. The team, though, has has found ways to win. Um, so I think there are goals in them. Um, the question is, uh, what are, what is Napoli going to do? Uh, and if their plan A gets shut down, do they have a plan B? Um, it's going to be a feisty fair. I I want to say I want to say a draw, um, mm. but. I'm going to give the home team, you know, they're all in on this uh, Scudetto, and I think they're going to find a way to get that goal advantage and win something like 2-1 to one or something. All right, I'm going to give you the three things that are going to happen in this game on Friday. All okay, right. First, first, of all, first of all, you're not even going to know Gonzalo Higuain's on the pitch. Okay, let's uh, – Khalidou Koulibaly is going to take him out of the game. Um, I, I just don't think he'll have the effect uh, that you that you would hope for. Uh, uh Second thing to see from this game, uh, second thing that I think will happen or, or should happen, uh, Napoli will boss this game. Uh, I mean, a lot of this is because it's in Allegri's nature when he goes away, uh, you know, against what he might consider to be more dangerous opponents. He just seeds possession. Okay. As such, I don't see a big game from Paulo Dybala. Okay. Uh, so that leads me to my third point. So I think Juventus have a struggle here. And I, you know, I, I, I really think that this is Napoli's opportunity to step up. And I think that this is Maurizio Sarri's signature win uh, as Napoli manager. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, I love Insigne in this game because there is no, I mean, Lichsteiner is very hardworking. Uh, you know, Decilio, great. He scored a goal this weekend, but he's, you know, uh, where, where Insigne is going to be situated, I don't feel like Juventus really have anybody that can deal with him. Um, you know, and then you have Callihon on the other side, who I think is going to end up being a little bit quieter. Um, and then you have the midfield. Uh, you have two, uh, you know, a two-man midfield, however Allegri decides to situate this. And I, I think he'll go with Matuidi, with, with Pjanic, or he should, uh, unless Matuidi's injured. Um, because the combination, you're going to have Hamsik, Jorginho, and Alan. Uh, and I think that those three beat the, you know, whatever two uh, Allegri are going to trot out there. Um, so as a result, Napoli will have more possession. Allegri is going to be okay with that, but the possession is going to be too much for Juventus. Uh, and Napoli has learned how to win games 1-0. They're going to win this game 1-0. Oh, okay. All right. Not going to say where the goal is coming from. 
All right. I would love to say it's going to be poetic and it's going to be Hamsik and he's going to get the record against Juventus. That- Hamsik has said this week that it's uh, this is his derby, so it would be great to see Hamsik score. Yep, I agree. I agree. But I, I think it'll be uh, Napoli 1, Juventus 0, and Napoli will be seven points clear of the one team they really have to be most worried about as far as the Scudetto chase. So um, I picked Juventus to win it all, but considering some of the inconsistencies with them, uh, in some of these big games lately, uh, I'm changed. I'm starting to slowly change my tune uh, that Napoli might actually win this thing, and this might be their season. And 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 they make the statement on Friday. They get this signature win uh, and go on and take this thing one nil. Uh, and another reason for this is because I think Juventus also, as important as Friday's game is going to be, they got to go and win in Greece uh, against Olympiacos here in a few days. So. Um, there's that balancing act and there's that management that's going to be going on. And I don't think that I, you know, get me wrong. Allegri's going to pick the best 11 that I think that he thinks is going to fit in this game against Napoli, but they still have to qualify for the next stage of the champions league. And there's all this talk about, well, Juve want to win the champions league too. So, yeah. um, but so there are some theories here. So it's a perfect storm. It's at the San Paolo. I, I think Napoli win this game and they will win it 1-0. They've learned how to win games 1-0. They beat, they beat Roma 1-0. They found a way to hang on and beat Udinese 1-0. They will win 1-0 here on Friday. Well, we both yeah. we're both picking a win, so uh, we'll see what happens on Friday. I'm going to be watching that for sure. All right, you got 2-1. I've got 1-0. What do you guys think of the big one on Friday? Napoli v. Juve at the San Paolo. Go to at Serie A, sit down on Twitter or Instagram. And with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of the Serie A Sit-Down. Time for a social media uh, check and a uh, shameless plug. Richard, you first. You can find me at R underscore Carmen. A quick shout-out to uh, uh, this weekend. I was on the Tyler Dunn show talking a little Bundesliga and Serie A. So I plugged Serie A Sit-Down for that. So stay tuned for that. It comes out on Wednesday. And then, um, yeah, you know, like I said... um, this uh, firing by of Montella and hiring of Gattuso got me inspired to write. So I wrote a little article uh, for SB Nation that will be hopefully coming out in the next couple of days, um, going a little deeper into that and more into what Gattuso uh, has has. Well, you'll see about it about his managerial style, I guess. So uh, stay tuned for that. Awesome. Uh, I can be found at FTC underscore twenty one on Twitter, and then my piece on. Uh, the Milan situation will be out uh, on Tuesday. Uh, it is called, it is on the Calcio Consultant at worldfootballindex.com. It is called Montella out at Milan and no better time to do it. Uh, basically going to regurgitate a lot of things you heard on this podcast. It's going to maybe be the Cliff Notes version of what you heard here. Uh, but essentially, uh, hope, give it a read anyway and just go click on the site so that World Football Index knows that I'm getting reads. <laughs> so, um, you can also go to at Serie A Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram if you want anything covered in the future on this podcast. We'd we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to uh, try to tackle it. So, uh, you know, you know, do take advantage of that. Uh, and uh, having said all of that, want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us. As always, be sure to tell your paisans about us. Ciao.